believed and, and I believe was the pastor of uh, the church. And, and the scripture tells us that he was burned at the stake because of his faith. The church at Smyrna, he was the pastor there. And he pastored the church for those years. And But he came to the end of it. And, and it, all Polycarp had to do, or what the church had to do, and we'll see that in a moment when we get to the text, all they had to do was one little thing, and they wouldn't have undergone this great persecution. All they had to do was come once a year when they had their worship or whatever it was to the emperor, and they actually who they worshiped, and they would offer just a little bit, just a little bit of incense on the altar. And if they offered that incense and said, Caesar is Lord, all was good. But Polycarp wouldn't do it, and the church wouldn't do it, and that's why they're under this great persecution. Uh, read with me once again. Verse 8, and to the angel, remember the angel is, uh, is the word meaning messenger. It means messenger, and it is the messenger of the church that he's writing to. Remember what I told you last week, J. Vernon McGee says he likes that word angel for the pastor because he's called so many other things. Figure that out in a minute, okay? But he says, to the angel of the church at Ephesus, or to the church at Smyrna, write, the first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews or not, but are synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison, so that you will be tested, and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Father, bless your word today to the hearts of your people. Father, I pray that you would enlighten our hearts according to your word, that we could see clearly and learn much from what you're teaching us through these churches of history. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this particular city, Smyrna, was... Uh, great city. It was known literally as, as one of the great cities of Asia, noted for a center of science and medicine. It was a port city. Everything it had and, and everything that it had was not good because it all went south because of idolatry, immorality, ungodliness of all kinds. The city was consumed with that in this era of time. The city uh, it was rebuilt, and the city still exists today. It's a little place called Ishkar, Izmir, which is a city in Turkey. Uh, population today of about 300 million. And uh, so it, it still exists. It's one of the only cities that do still exist out of the churches that we're talking about this morning. Barclay, William Barclay, uh, who, uh, uh, I, do you know, anybody know who William Barclay is? Okay, he, He's somewhat a liberal, okay, uh, but he has some great statements. And if you want to know how wide the Red Sea is and how deep it is at certain points, he'll tell you that. He's got the greatest historian I've ever read after. Uh, and so when we look at William Barclay, he says this, and I quote, that the city claimed to be the glory of Asia. That's what it claimed to be, where it was. Now, we're going to discover as we get into this text that they really weren't that. The church was doing what they were supposed to be doing and undergoing great 
persecution. First thing I want you to see is the testimony. Look at verse 8. The testimony of the church. And to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, the first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this. Given the testimony of, of the Lord Jesus. Jesus, the one who has always been, is eternal, therefore the beginning and end of all things. We understand that. His scripture says he was dead. Was dead. He talks about being dead, and he, he became dead. Literally, what Jesus is doing as he speaks to John in this passage in Revelation, he's talking about his his crucifixion and when he was crucified. Then he says something else. He said, and he and he came to life in the passage. The word literally from the original text means that he sprang to life. It's he's talking about his death and resurrection. Look at it again. To the first and last, that's Jesus, the Alpha, the Omega, right? The beginning. And the end, that's who he was. Who was dead, was dead. Past tense, right? Was dead. Now he's alive. Jesus lives today. Amen. Jesus lives today. And that's why we have life, because he lives today. And he talks about that he died, but yet, look what he says, first and last he was dead, and has come to life, sprang to life, says this. And this is what he says. Some of these things occur, one Ephesians 2.6 talks about you were once dead in your trespasses and sin, but God, being rich in mercy, raised you up out from among the dead. It's literally an out-resurrection. You were dead, and you became resurrected in your spirit, in your life, when you came to know Christ. So we understand that these people in the church of Smyrna were alive in Christ. And Jesus speaking to John regarding that. So there's a testimony of who he is. Uh, he draws attention to his death and to his resurrection. That's something that should be on the mind and the heart of believers all the time. This is why we do what we do, because we believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, came to this world in the flesh, walked among men, died on the cross, was buried in a barred tomb, rose again, and because of his resurrection, he has victory, and because of that, we have victory. That's what we're talking about in this passage today. The second thing I want you to see is the tribulation. Look at verse 9. He says, I know your tribulation. Listen to me carefully. The Lord Jesus Christ knows more about what you're going through than you do. Sometimes what we need to really do when we have difficulty and we have tribulation and whatever, we need to embrace it. We need to embrace it knowing that God is in it and what he wants to do with it is to use that situation, whatever it might be, to conform us to his image. Everything that he's about, he's using it to conform us to his image. Can you get that? I want you to get that. That's the whole purpose. Listen to me carefully. Jesus, God the Father, is not mad at you. He may be disappointed in the time, but he still loves us. Amen? He still loves us. And so what we have to understand is based on the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ, we also have a death, a burial, and a resurrection in Christ. And we walk in unity with him. That's what the Lord wants us to do. This is the one thing that Jesus wants in his church is us to be unified, on the same, going down the same road at the same pace for the same reason. How do we do that? We walk in the Spirit. What do we, it's what, what, it, in other words, we imitate the Lord. That's what Ephesians 5.1 says, that we're to be imitators of the Lord. We're to imitate God, right? We're to do that. So it's important that we see it. He says he knows. Literally the word can be sees. He sees the tribulation. The word can literally translate pressure. This church was under pressure. Under pressure. He knows the problems they face. Nothing, 
not one detail does he miss. Look at John 16, 33, if you would, please. John 16 and verse 33. In John 16 and verse 33, the scripture says this. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. Are you listening? You can have peace in the midst of any situation. You can. You can have peace in the midst of the storm. Can you not? Yes, you can. Why? Because in the storm, Jesus resides with you. He walks with you. He talks with you in the midst of that tribulation, in the midst of that difficulty, because he's wanting you to embrace it and say, Lord, what do you want to teach me through this? What are you, what are you bringing me through this for? What's, it, what's going to be the outcome of this? He wants you to do that for his glory because you're trusting him when you do. So we see that. Smyrna was, one of the fully, was once fully given to Rome. They built a temple where Rome was worshipped. It was also the leading city for the emperor worship. Olympic games were held there. It was a massive city. Trouble came when the Christians would not worship the emperor. That's when trouble came. That's when their difficulty started. This was the, the church, listen to me carefully, the church was the, in the thorn in the side of the city. Do you remember the day when the church, I don't know where you grew up, I, moved, I, I grew up in small town USA. I grew up in Seminole, Texas, uh, population about 5,000, 5,500, something like that. And, and the city, the, the, the town, respected the church. I think I've said this to you before, but we didn't play ball on Wednesday night. We didn't have ball on Sunday, and uh, we didn't do those things. Uh, That's back in the day. This seems like almost light years ago that we had vote on the liquor by drink. Anybody remember that? And for years, we won that vote, and then the church became silent, and we lost the vote. And so we've been kind of going downhill ever since. Trouble came when the Christians would not worship the emperor or offer sacrifice or participate in pagan religions. And again, the church, the people, all they had to do was the same thing that Polycarp had to do. All they had to do was come up and take that little bit of incense and put it on the on the burning fire and offer it to the emperor and worship him and say, Caesar's Lord, and everything would have been fine, but they wouldn't do that. This church was under great persecution. Great persecution. Smyrna had a smorgasbord of gods led by Cybele, the mother of all gods. The church at Smyrna rejected all pagan idols. The church, real church, worshiped the one and true God, Jehovah, who's invisible. Thus, the, the pagan people called the church atheist because they didn't believe in their God. The Christians were called atheists in that particular time, in that particular day, for that same reason. Calling them, they they called, they were called, said they were cannibalistic, that they were cannibals because they took of the Lord's Supper, and the and the Lord's Supper was what the the meat uh, and, and or the or the bread and the blood, and they they said, well, you're cannibalistic, you're cannibals. So they were called all kinds of things. So don't be upset. When you're called a fanatic about the Lord Jesus. Can I give you a definition of fanatic? 
Somebody has a closer relationship with the Lord Jesus than you do. You think about that for a minute. We don't want to become fanatical. Uh, should you say amen in church? Well, the Bible uses the word amen. Should you play musical instruments in the church? The Bible says you should do, and you should. Should you clap your hands in church? The psalmist said, clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto the Lord with a voice of triumph. That might disturb the enemy a little bit if we begin to do that. God didn't call us to be robots. God didn't call us to be statues. God called us to be worshipers of the living God, the living King, and not to let anything else interfere with that. Their poverty came because their faith. Look what he says. I know your deeds and your, uh, no, wrong verse. I know your tribulation and your poverty. They were not only under tribulation, they had great poverty. Why did they have great poverty? They had great poverty because no one would sell to them. They couldn't buy food. They begged. They became beggars because, but they didn't bow to Baal. They didn't bow to Baal. Now you listen to me very carefully. Persecution is coming to the American church. I'm not a prophet of doom, but I'm telling you, it's coming. It's already here. There's things that men won't say today that they should say today because they're biblical today. Amen. We don't want to do that. We don't want to offend anybody. Listen, you're looking at the last guy. Roger, I never want to offend you. But if we stay in the truth long enough and we study the truth and learn the truth, the truth is offensive. It will cut across your grain. And that's exactly what we have. The church cannot be silent in today's world. We're told to be quiet. You don't need to say that. You're a, you're a bigot or you're this because you think this. Listen, I want to say it this way, and I will not take it any further than this. God, the Father, created this world, and in this world he created man and woman. He created male and female. For male and female, he did not create anything else. Anything else that's made is man-centered. Man-centered. We can't go there. That's why it's so important the church stands, and our, our Constitution and bylaws says we stand on the rock. We stand on the solid rock. The Word is the truth of life. The Word is what we live by. The Word is what we walk by. The Word is what we do ministry by, not anything else. We cannot succumb to those who think different, not at all. Their poverty became because of their faith. Their faith caused them to have poverty. Now, that wouldn't work well in the prosperity church business, would it? Because if you have faith, you're supposed to have what? Well, maybe you should have a Mercedes. Maybe you should have a Learjet. Maybe you should have a swimming pool, an Olympic size in your backyard, three registered bird dogs, and a Rolex watch. Faith will get you that. No, faith, according to the Scripture, will get you killed. It will have your life taken from you. If you don't think that's true, you go back and read through the Old Testament and see what happened in the life of Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Hosea and Jonah and all these people. All these people were persecuted because of their faith and were not treated well. Crushed, listen carefully, crushed by adversity because they stood for truth. They were crushed by adversity because they stood for truth. We must stand for truth regardless of what comes. To Benny, he says in, in verse 9, I know your tribulation, your poverty, but you are rich. Wait a minute. You're rich. I can't buy food. What do you, what do you mean I'm rich? Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
That's rich. One day, we will all, if we know Jesus, be absent from the body and be present with the Lord. Amen? We will be. So that's rich. I am rich in Christ. I am rich. Not wealthy in the world terms, but rich in Christ. And that's all that matters. Literally, they were beggars. They were destitute, begging to survive. The unbelieving Jews were used as a tool of the Abelos. The Abelos is Satan, the devil. They were used as a tool against him. And the devil, who is he? He's the false accuser and destroyer. He's out to destroy you. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 says, Your adversary, Satan, is, what's the term? As a roaring lion. Doesn't say he is a roaring lion. Said he is as a roaring lion, doing what? Seeking someone to devour. That word from the Greek literally means to drink down or bring to ruin. He wants to ruin your testimony. That's how he can get to you. He can ruin your testimony. You won't stand for what's right. Listen, put your anchor down. Stand for what's right. Stand for truth to the glory of God. And be unashamed of the gospel. That's what Paul said in Romans 1.16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You can't be ashamed of it. You can't, it. Listen, it can't just be something we entertain on Sunday morning. It's something we live out. It's who we are as we walk through life. See things happening before us. Do not fall prey. We must be guarded that we do not fall prey to the arch enemy, Satan. Jesus tells them they're rich. They have, as, as believers, they have the untold, unseen riches that are in Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. Ephesians 1, verse 7 and 8. Paul writes and says, in him we have redemption. Have you been redeemed? If your life ended today, you're going to spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ based on his redemption in your life. Paul says, in him we have redemption through his blood. There is no salvation without the shedding of blood. There is no salvation. Jesus shed his blood for our salvation. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. Listen, every manifold blessing of God has been poured out on you already. It's been poured out on you. Everything the Lord has is accessible to us as we walk in the word, be filled with the spirit, and do not allow our mind to be clouded by the things of the world. We must be guarded. Do you, rem- do you, do you remember Daniel 3, 16-25, where Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, remember those two young people in the fiery furnace? Why were they put in the fiery furnace? Because they wouldn't worship. They wouldn't bow down. They wouldn't do it. There's a song, I don't know who sung it, but it was way, way back there. It's an old gospel song. It talks about they wouldn't bow, they wouldn't bend, they wouldn't burn. And because of their faith, because of their trust, God allowed them to enter into the fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar the king told them to heat it ten times hotter than it had ever been heated before. And the fire was so hot that it burned those that jumped, that, that, that threw Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace. And all of a sudden, here in a little bit, they look into the fire, and Nebuchadnezzar says, Whoa, wait a minute. There's four in the furnace. Who's the fourth guy? Where did he come from? Listen, 
That's the incarnate Son of God. That is Jesus Christ, the righteous, in the fiery furnace with them, protecting them. And listen, if you choose to walk in Him in fullness and truth and power, He will walk with you in everything you do. He will guide you in everything you do. He will love you through everything you get involved in. He will do it. Let Him be your guide in the days that we have. Listen, I want to say it to you again. Persecution's coming to this nation. It's already coming in certain ways. People, Christian people, in certain places of leadership will not take a stand. Will not take a stand. When I'm thinking about something like this, when I stop, I'm thinking, is this an Ed thought or a God thought, okay? I'm trying to decipher, so I don't want to just me. But I want to tell you something that happened about three years ago, three and a half years ago, whenever it was, three years ago, I think at this time, that my granddaughters graduated from high school. Now, I will not say what high school, I'll be nice, okay? But there was no prayer. There was no prayer. And I know for a fact that at least three or four of people on that school board profess to be Christians. Where's our faith? Where's Where's our strength? Where's our boldness that we step up for the Lord Jesus Christ? Folks, this is no time for the mundane. This is no time for the routine Christianity. This is is a time to come together in unity and, and listen. Every one of us ought to be able to find at least one thing in life to be positive about. Amen? At least one. I can find a bunch. But it's easy to find something that you don't like, so therefore you speak about it and talk about it, and you do like they did over in, in against Moses. What did they do against Moses? What did the Scripture say against Moses? They never heard him. Have you ever sat around a cage with a bunch of doves or pigeons and listened to them? It's kind of a... That's the exact word that's used in the Old Testament. It's a murmuring We've got too much to be thankful for. We've got too much to to walk in the Lord for, too much to look forward to in the Lord than to be complaining about anything. God, give us mercy and grace and in a manner worthy of living for His glory. When we, somebody, I will say it to you again, somebody asked me the other day, what about church growth? I said, I don't have a plan. The plan is what God's doing here, is getting a church to come together in unity and spirit. And when that comes together in unity and spirit, you will see church growth. I'll guarantee you. When the spirit gets right, new birth will be, just like I shared, I think it was on Saturday, Sunday night. It's when you've got a bunch of eggs and you put them in an incubator and they got little chicks in them and they get to a certain temperature and the right time, what are you going to have? You're not going to have eggs, you're going to have what? Chickens. Same thing's true in the church. Temperature gets right, spirit gets right, new life comes forth. People who have been walking around in the spiritual doldrums for years, all of a sudden they come alive in Christ and they have this new energy and new hope and praise of the Lord. This is where we need to be. Remember Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. They wouldn't bow, they wouldn't bend, they wouldn't learn. The scripture says that their trousers didn't even smell of smoke. Isn't that interesting? Now, that kind of puts you in a point to where you say, I need to read my Bible more. That's a good starting point. Be in Proverbs. Start in Proverbs if you haven't. 
read the word. Allow that word to mold your mold your heart, mold your mind, and cause you to think in a different manner than you thought before. Next thing, testing, verse 10. Look at verse 10. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. That's what I've been saying to you. You don't have to fear it. No fear. God is going to be with you. God's going to be with us. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison. No, stop right there. I trust that all of you believe in a real enemy, the devil. He is alive and well on planet Earth, trust me. My good friend David Allen, who will be here for our Bible conference in October, said one time that the devil's God's devil, but he's on a long leash. And that's true. And he's looking for someone to devour, someone to break down, and that's you and me without question. Most difficulties were on the horizon as they came. They weren't there with them right then. More difficulties were coming, and they are for us. He said, do your deeds. Uh, uh, do not fear for what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil's about to cast out some of you into prison so that you will be tested, and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. That's capstone of the verse. He will give you the crown of life, the testing. More difficulties were on the horizon. Testing was not over. Jesus' word, do not fear not, fear not, is the most repeated command in Scripture. Fear not. Fear not. Look, if you would, at Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9. The Scripture says this. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Be strong. Be courageous. Don't fear. Do not be dismayed. Trem trembling comes from fear, right? Lots of times. But we're, we're not to fear. And then he says in John 14 and verse 27. John 14 and verse 27. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Fear not. I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. That's the omnipresence of God. He will never leave you nor forsake you. That's the joy of it. You know, that's, that's, that's getting near hallelujah ground. Prison would be a testing. Standing firm will validate. And I think it's four times in Ephesians chapter 6, around verse 13, at the, in 12 and 13, 14, that the Lord says, stand, therefore stand, stand. What do you think he's trying to say? Stand. Stand firm on the word. This is, this is the foundation. This is the rock that we stand on is the word of God and, and what, what he wants to use it for in our life. The, the Lord brings to us all sorts of trials, which if seen from his perspective will serve to strengthen us, grow us, and conform us to his image. His one ultimate purpose in life is to conform you and me to his image. For example, do you know anybody that doesn't like you? I've pastored six churches and done 21 interims. I know a lot of people don't like me. That does not keep me from doing what I'm supposed to do. That does not keep me from being who I am. I say this kindly. I am not a man pleaser. And I have good company 
They're all in the book. You can find them. Ezekiel, Isaiah, Paul, Timothy, Mark. Find them. They're there. So, let's see what we can do as we try to finish this up. Be, be, for 10 days, he says, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have difficulty. The assault, but don't fear, he said, because you're going to get the crown of life. The crown of life. Literally, the word is victor's crown. The victor's crown. It's eternal life. Listen to me carefully. There's no second place finishes in heaven. Everybody gets a crown. Better than a participation trophy. Everybody gets a crown. The assault by Satan will be brief for those at Smyrna and short for all believers. We must resist him. Firm in our faith, says 1 Peter 5, 6 through 10. Knowing glory awaits. What awaits you? The glory of God. What awaits you? The glory of heaven. What awaits you? Streets of gold. What awaits you? Your mansion that he's working on and building and got ready for you. What awaits you? Don't, don't worry about what happens. Uh, do I think we should vote? Do I think we should do those things? Yes, I do. But I'm not going to do what I do and live in life because of what they do in Washington. Amen. I won't. And we shouldn't. Let me just pause and be political for a minute. What happened to government by the people for the people? What happened? Can we lay any of the blame at the feet of the church? I think we can. That's why, see, here at North Oaks, we can't be concerned about what's going on down the street at church, whatever. We can't be concerned about what's going on in the church for whatever. We got to be concerned about what God wants to do here, right here. We need to get in line with Him and do what God wants to do. And if He brings us persecution for doing the right thing, then so be it. I mean, you might have revival. The cops came through that door one day and drugged me out because I've been preaching things I shouldn't be preaching according to the society and the culture. I think the next week the place might be full. someone that's touched in some way probably by this culture and what's going on in it. You know someone. You know a problem that they have because of it. What's going on in their family because of it. It's heartbreaking. But we can't quit doing what we're doing. You know, the church growth concept is important. We need to grow. Here's what we do. We go out to lunch today and we share the gospel or the good news in brevity with the person who waits on us. Do you have a church? I asked the man who does the, the, the security this morning. I had a nice conversation with the young man. I said, do you have a church to go to? He said, no, sir, I don't. I said, you're welcome here. We'd love to talk to you and share with you about the Lord. And we have church on Sunday night. He said, you have church on Sunday night? Yeah, I said, yes, sir, we do. He said, what time? Six o'clock. I'm praying that young man will come. It's, it's not about us. See, 
Y'all know what sandbagging is? This ain't no time for sandbagging Christians. It's time to step up. Persecution's coming. We need to be able to stand up. See, we need to come together, knitted together in the power of the Holy Spirit that we can stand alone, but yet we can stand together because we are brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. The triumph, verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear. What the Spirit says to the churches, he who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. The triumph. Christ offers no reprimand to this church. He offers no condemnation to Smyrna at all. What's the key to triumph? What's the key to victory? It's hearing and obeying. When I was a kid growing up, my dad would tell me to do something. A few minutes later, I hadn't done it. He said, boy, did you hear me? I said, yes, sir. He said, no, you didn't. If you'd have heard me, you'd have done it. You ever had your, my dad was, he, he taught in weird ways, but he taught. We had screen doors out at Seminole. Y'all know what a screen door is? It's a door that was on the outside, had a little latch on it, and we kept it unlatched all the time. We'd latch it at night and leave the other doors open. And during the daytime, sometime I'd be in the house and I'd see somebody out there, we was going to go play ball, and I'd hit that back door with my glove and my bat, and I'd hit, go, go through that screen door and let it slam, and I'd hear my dad, if he was working, not to beat us up about that time, and he'd say, Call me by my name. Eddie Jones. Come back here and close that door right, boy. You know what I did? I went back here and closed that door right. You say, oh, that's 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 abuse. No, it's not. It's teaching someone what to do when you're subject to the authority, and kids need to learn that, that their parents are the authority, their parents need to learn that God's their authority, and if we just step in line with the authority and let God be God, much will change. Much will change without question. We are overcomers. Last verse, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. John Rochin says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. We, you're here today. You know Christ. Savior, I have some really good news for you. You're an overcomer. You have already overcome the penalty of sin, which is death. You're an overcomer. Let's live like it. Act like it. Be gracious enough and loving enough when somebody, you hear somebody say something that they shouldn't say. Be bold enough. Be, be loving enough to say, uh, excuse me, I don't believe we need to be speaking to that. Say, I'm not losing friends. Maybe. Maybe you just gained them. No second death for you, for me. No falling back. No judicial judgment due to his glorious victory over the assaults of Satan from birth to the cross. Smyrna was rich, rich with love for Christ and others. Let's Let's us yearn, long to be rich in prayer and praise. Long to be rich in prayer, praise, love, Bible study, as we walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. The song, Maestro, 
I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold. Is that true? I trust it is. I trust today that God would take his word and elevate you to a new place in your life and you would step into a new arena of faith and purpose and trust in the almighty God that you would be a light in the midst of the darkness because that's what we're to be. Remember the song we taught the little kids? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Nothing can damp it out. Light, hope, purpose, grace, and mercy. Emmanuel. Let it descend for thee. If you're here today, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you need to come. If you're here today, you need a church home, we invite you to come and be a part based on your relationship with Christ and right fellowship with the body of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the church at Smyrna. Help me, help us to be firm standing. Standing on truth. Not bowing to Baal. Not submitting to a hierarchy is given to you creator, the master, the savior, Lord of all, Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, to be one here today without Jesus, that they would say yes to him. Someone needs to be a part, needs to have fellowship in a church, that they come and be a part of your church. Give you praise for what you do, and thank you, Lord. May your word today fall on good soil, and may it bring forth good fruit. Good fruit. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand.